From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. My name is Richard Serrett, and uh, this is a radio program that aims for your mind and your heart, but sometimes, occasionally, hits you in the stomach. Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, my dear friend and colleague, George Ginescu, who just exited the building, he's been in radio for nearly 65 years. He's the host of Big Band Sunday Nights, uh, which uh, precedes this program here on our flagship uh, station, AM740, Zoomer Radio in Toronto. So after 65 years, you'd think he'd know a thing or two. But <laughs> I love George. Don't get me wrong. But several times on the air, George has referred to me I can barely say this with a straight face. He's referred to me as a modern-day prophet. Now, George's heart is in the right place, but in truth, it's, as I say, it's hard for me to keep, keep a straight face when he says it. And deep down, I suspect it's hard for him to keep a straight face when he says it. It goes without a question that I am about as far removed from being a prophet as any man could be. Uh, but one thing I will admit to, I am, uh, like many of you listening, a seeker of the truth. I certainly don't claim uh, that I found it, but I am looking. And for all of you listening tonight who are looking and searching, uh, this show is dedicated to you. Searching for the truth. In a world full of deceit, that's not for the uh, the squeamish or the faint of heart, to be sure. As uh, C.S. Lewis said, if you look for the truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin. And in the end, despair. So, let's all search for a little truth, and may we all find some comfort in the end. Uh, No, I am uh, no prophet. Now, Isaiah, there was a prophet, the prince of prophets. The author of the book in the Old Testament, Isaiah, also called the book of salvation. Now, Isaiah is the first book containing the writings of the prophets of the Bible. And Isaiah was a masterful writer. He had an immense vocabulary. He was also very poetic. And all of these attributes have earned Isaiah the title, the Shakespeare of the Bible. He was educated. He was distinguished and privileged. Yet he remained a deeply spiritual man. He was committed to obedience over the long haul of his 55 to 60 year ministry as a prophet of God. He was a true patriot. He loved his country and his people. And strong tradition suggests he died a martyr's death under the reign of King Manasseh by being placed within the hollow of a tree trunk and sawed in two. Isaiah's calling as a prophet was primarily to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, and to Jerusalem, urging the people to repent from their sins and return to God. He also foretold the coming of the Messiah and the salvation of the Lord. Many of his prophecies predicted events that occurred in Isaiah's near future, yet at the same time they foretold the events of the distant future, such as the coming of the Messiah, and even some events still to come in the last days. So in summary, the message of Isaiah is that salvation comes from God, not man. God alone is Savior, Ruler, and King. Well, tonight, we're going to talk about the book of Isaiah. More precisely, we'll be talking about one relatively obscure verse of Scripture, that may hold the secret to the pain and suffering America has been experiencing in increasing doses since 9-11. Are America's key leaders unknowingly fulfilling a prophetic destiny of national judgment by uttering words from the Bible they don't comprehend? Is the United States following in the footsteps of ancient Israel, 
with a spirit of defiance against God leading to increasingly severe judgments. And is this judgment revealed in an ancient mystery that foretells current events down to the exact dates? This is the subject of a new documentary entitled The Isaiah 9-10 Judgment, which is based on the research of a Messianic Jew, Pastor Jonathan Kahn. Joining me now is the producer of the Isaiah 9-10 Judgment, Joseph Farah. He's the founder, editor, chief executive officer of WorldNetDaily.com, the world's leading independent news site. In addition, he hosts a nationally syndicated talk radio show. He's written for such publications as the Wall Street Journal, Jerusalem Post, the L.A. Times, Boston Globe. On and on it goes. I could spend an hour reading his bio, but uh, let's just get Joseph in here and get right down to business. Joseph, welcome to The Conspiracy Show, and thank you very much for uh, joining me tonight. No, it's great to be with you, Richard, and, and thank you for that nice introduction. You made it easy to talk about a very, you know, somewhat complicated subject by uh, your setup there. Well, congratulations. I, I watched the uh, the documentary uh, this afternoon, and we'll tell people how they can get a hold of the Isaiah 9:10 judgment. Uh, first of all, just give us a, uh, some insights into uh, uh, Pastor or Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. Who is this you know, man? That's a great place to start because it's kind of funny how I discovered Jonathan. Uh, before the Harbinger came out, of course, after the Harbinger came out and, you know, went to, uh, became a New York Times bestseller on its very first week and has been there, I believe, ever since. We're going on uh, two years now. Um, and it has certainly been the biggest selling, you know, Christian book, faith book of the last two years. But it was in the fall of 2011, uh, before anybody, you know, ever heard of Jonathan Connor, the Harbinger, um, that I got uh, kind of an insight into his teaching. Uh, he had appeared on a, a television show that I had never seen or heard of, and I never watched. But somebody sent me a link to the to, to the you know episode that he appeared on for about fifteen or twenty minutes. And you can imagine, uh, Richard, that I get a lot of emails, you know, thousands a day. And something made me put this one aside. I didn't just hit the delete key, which is the <laughs> the most tempting thing to do in my business. I put it aside. And uh, l- later in the week, on the weekend, something made me click on this thing. And I, <laughs> to this day, I, I just have to tell you, I think it was it was a God thing. I clicked on this um, show I'd never heard of, watched this guy I'd never heard of, and I heard him talk about the Harbinger. And within a few minutes, I was so hooked. I, I, I literally believed that he had hit on something so key to the future of America, the future of the world, where we are right now spiritually, what we're doing wrong, and, and how, we can, how we can save ourselves. And uh, I, I, was, I was so excited by this, this just this short synopsis that he gave on the show that on Monday morning uh, I found myself, you know, uh, dialing Jonathan's phone number and breathlessly uh, talking to him about, you know, of course the first question out of my mind, because I'm more known for publishing books than doing movies, was, hey, have you got a book contract? And uh, sure enough, he had. Uh, and the book was scheduled to come out in just a few months on January, the first week of January of uh, 2012. And so my second question was, uh, have you got a movie deal? And uh, that's where we got started. And literally, 
within you know a couple of weeks we had secured a licensing deal for the story and um, were in production because it was very important to me. I, I knew the Harbinger was going to be a big success. There, there was no question in my mind that this story, this teaching, was going to resonate with people from coast to coast and around the world, which it did. And I wanted to get the movie out as quickly as possible on the heels of that book release. And we were fortunate enough to be able to do that within three months. It was out in March of 2012. And uh, the Harbinger had already established tremendous momentum, uh, both in terms of sales and in terms of, you know, just reaching people by the millions. And, uh, and so the Isaiah 910 Judgment, the movie, uh, rode that wave uh, and became the, the best-selling uh, faith movie uh, of 2012 and 2013. And uh, it, too, is having an impact. And, and, the, and the stories, you know, when I read The Harbinger, um, I read it with great interest, uh, but I wanted to, you know, what, what was lacking for me, I was, I was afraid people would say, gee, this is an interesting story and missed that it was all true, that these things actually happened. And what I wanted to do was to make a documentary so people could actually see them happening, because it, without seeing, some people won't believe. And, and, and I had to see you know, these things happening before my eyes to, to believe it. It is, it's, it is quite remarkable. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's right there in front of you, and you almost begin to question you know, is this real? Is this happening? Is this unfolding the way, uh, you know, it's, it, it has been foretold? Let's, let's begin. Uh, let, let me just remind uh, listeners, Joseph Farah, the founder editor of WorldNetDaily.com is, uh, with us and he's the producer of a new documentary, The Isaiah 910 Judgment. Now let's begin. What, what does Isaiah 910 actually say, Joseph? Well, um, you know, I had read those words, I'm sure, um, hundreds of times. You know, I'm a pretty uh, prolific uh, Bible reader, and um, I, I had not really understood the significance of these words until Jonathan's teaching. But it's very simple. It says, the bricks are falling down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. What it's about, the, the, the historical context here, is that um, the northern kingdom of Israel, you know, remember the, the, the Jewish states divided into two uh, separate entities. Uh, Israel, ancient Israel, was um, falling into decay and decadence faster than the, than the nation of Judah, uh, where Jerusalem was. And, um, and it, it was, God was you know, God was going to judge uh, Israel, and he, when he judges nations, especially, you know, uh, a nation he founded and, and he gave the scriptures to, um, is going to be judged harshly, but they're given a chance to repent many times. And um, God uses other nations to judge uh, Israel and to judge other nations as well. Sometimes they're very evil nations. And he used the evil nation of Assyria to launch what was a limited strike, if you will, into the heart of the nation of Israel. And, of course, what God wanted to happen was that Israel would 
see this attack and, and repent of its evil ways, to turn to paganism and so forth, and, uh, and turn back to him. But instead of doing that, what they said was, and this is what Isaiah 9:10 is reflecting, is we don't need God. We're going to rebuild better and bigger and stronger in our own strength. Okay, we don't need God. God was not part of the equation for them. And ultimately, they were judged and destroyed and dispersed uh, throughout the nations as a result of that. All right, I'm going to jump in here, Joseph. Uh, we'll uh, take a time out, come back on the other side. Joseph Farah, founder, editor of WorldNetDaily.com, the producer of the Isaiah 9:10 Judgment. Is there an ancient mystery that foretells America's future? Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Isaiah 9.10. The bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. It's a rather obscure passage uh, from the, uh, the Old Testament, from the Prince of Prophets, Isaiah. Uh, is there a connection between that ancient prophecy and what's happening in the United States certainly since 9-11, the events of 9-11. Joseph Farah is with us, the uh, producer of the Isaiah 9-10 Judgment, the CEO and founder of WorldNetDaily.com. Uh, so let's let's uh, talk about that, um, that passage. The bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. Yeah. What could that possibly have to do with the United States? Exactly. Well, it didn't take me long <laughs> to figure this out. All I had to see was the day after 9-11, and, and think of what 9-11 is. 9-11 is a limited strike on the United States of America. Terrible blow, but, you know, it was not the end of the United States of America by any stretch of the imagination. Initial breach of security. Exactly, and, and, and I believe it now. Now I believe this. I, I didn't know it back then when it happened, but I do believe that it was a warning from God, that he wanted us to turn back to him and his ways. And, and what happened the day after 9-11, a speech was given nationally, publicly televised. It was given by the uh, Senate Majority Leader at that time, Tom Daschle, who was chosen, I guess, by President Bush to give this uh, important speech to the nation. And, and Tom Daschle, um, you know, uh, finishes his speech by saying, you know, at times like this, uh, we can take comfort, and I'm paraphrasing now, uh, from the words in Isaiah. And he reads Isaiah 9:10, thinking that these are words of comfort, apparently, that we're just, we're going to rebuild, you know, bigger and better. We're going to come back stronger. That's essentially what that verse is telling us. Um, and, you know, and I, you know, I was a newsman in 9-11. I, I, you know, I'm sure I saw that speech when it happened. If I did, I didn't even catch the significance of of the misuse of that quote. Because, I mean, here you have a leader, uh, a very significant leader, giving a, a speech to a joint session of Congress on national television, and it's the same response, word for word, that the leaders of ancient Israel gave, as noted in Isaiah 9-10, when they chose to ignore God, 
ignore the need for repentance, ignore the fact that God was calling them back, ignore the need for humility and reflection. And he gave essentially the same arrogant and defiant response without knowing, I don't think he knew what he was doing, that the children of Israel gave to rebuke God's warning and rely instead on their own resourcefulness, their own strength. And when they literally pronounced judgment on themselves and their nation. And that's what Tom Daschle did the day after 9-11. Now that got my attention. And we should and, just, uh, uh, Joseph, just, for those just joining us, we should point out that the parallel here is that uh, that um, uh, um, not Judah, but the the kingdom to the north, uh, Sumeria, mm-hmm. uh, had been attacked, uh, invaded by the Assyrians. We're talking about what eighth century BC, right? And the Assyrians, I mean, they were a they were a, their warriors were pretty. Yeah, uh, I guess you could call them terrorists. I mean, they yeah, they, they would they attack the, civilians. They terrorism. Uh, there's no question about that. They they ruthless, you know, they ruthless. Didn't just destroy their enemy. They humiliated them. They they beheaded them. They were tortured them. They were ruthless, and uh, and and they are the precursors of the kinds of terrorists that America is facing today. In fact, you know, they come from the same part of the world. Uh, they spoke a language that has uh, is the closest language, ancient language, to modern Arabic that there is today. And then you turn around and you look at the people who attacked us. They come from the same place. They speak a language that's very similar, and um, and they are terrorists. Okay, so the uh, the um, 9/11 attacks the the day after, I believe it was Tom Daschle uh, in the Senate uh, utters this passage from Isaiah 9:10, not realizing that it's it was uh, you know a defiance of God. It was uh, it was the uh, the Sumerians being incredibly arrogant, snubbing their nose at God, saying, we don't need you, we will rebuild all on our own, without God. But the, par- but the parallels don't end there. Oh, no, not by a long shot. This is just the beginning. In fact, this, is, this becomes a familiar refrain by national leaders that are they're still taking place today. I mean, we can barely chronicle them, but uh, another good example is on the fourth anniversary of 9-11, another speech is given in Washington by another national leader uh, that, uh, uh, by the name of uh, John Edwards, who was a U.S. senator at the time. I'm sorry, it was the third anniversary of 9-11, and he was uh, the vice presidential candidate uh, for John Kerry at the time. So it was a very significant speech. Now, he builds his whole speech around Isaiah 9-10. Literally, everything he says, he says, let's go, you know, on, on this day, let's go to see what the Lord has to say to us. And he quotes uh, Isaiah 9:10, and he builds his whole speech is framed around that. And, uh, and, and, and it goes from there. Another significant one is when Barack Obama is sworn in as president and gives in his inaugural address gives a speech that is entirely reminiscent of Isaiah 9:10. The key to the whole speech is we will rebuild, we will come back stronger, and uh, it, it's literally it's almost like, you know, a a what the commentaries say about Isaiah 9:10. It's word for word what Obama says 
in his inaugural address. And as you and you point out in the documentary, there's a there's a, a clip from Donald Trump. I remember this very distinctly after 9/11, and uh, you know the mayor uh, Rudolph Giuliani in New York. They were all saying the same thing: We're going to build this tower. We're going to build it one floor higher than the last time. We're going to we're going to control the New York skyline, not the terrorists. You know, we are the masters of our own destiny. Uh, so again, yes, this hubris, this uh, no repentance, no introspection. You know, why did this happen? Is there something that we're doing? None of that. Um, but you mentioned the utterance by uh, by John uh, Edwards, uh, the vice president presidential candidate at the time. Uh, but let's go back and, and we get back into now uh, uh, Rabbi Khan's uh, uh, book, The Harbinger, mm-hmm. and some of the earlier. Uh, harbingers. Uh, for example, the harbinger. That, I mean, the first words in the in nine, uh, Isaiah nine ten. The bricks have fallen. Uh, let's walk us through the the, the first several uh, harbingers yeah. here. That, starting with the very, bricks. Very, very good idea. Uh, the bricks have fallen. Well, you know, on nine eleven, bricks fell. <laughs> Literal bricks fell, and uh, you know, the, and as you know, as Dashiell was speaking those words. Keep in mind, uh, the dust had not cleared yet from ground zero uh, in New York City. And we really didn't even understand the devastation of what was going on at that point. But yet, um, you know, he's using those words. And, you know, when they were cleaning up the mess, there were actual bricks uh, from the, the, the destruction there. Uh, and, uh, and, and what do we, what is the, what is the response? Well, we're going to build with hewn stone. Well, hewn stone, the, the, actual, the actual Hebrew word there is gazit, a gazit stone. And a gazit stone is something that's carved out of uh, a granite, big blocks. In other words, you know, we're not going to build with bricks again. We're going to build with, uh, with uh, sizable stones and and that's exactly what the intent was, you know, of the new, um, the new World Trade Center that has been built now and is complete in New York City now. But back a few years ago, before the construction even began, what they did, the leaders of the city, the business leaders and so forth, they got together and they uh, dedicated to building bigger and stronger by bringing in a gigantic, I don't know how much it weighed, tons, uh, a piece of granite carved out of uh, the Adirondack Mountains in New York and, you know, brought it to the site of destruction and placed it there. And this, and it was inscribed with, with a message about how, you know, th- this is uh, an illustration of how we're going to rebuild bigger and stronger and speeches were given by the mayor governor governor of new jersey bunch of people the theme of that dedication was the same theme we're talking about we will rebuild we will build stronger and better and higher and that again that message i can give you countless dozens and dozens of examples that have happened since the movie came out since the book came out of leaders who have been making this same pronouncement over and over again. In fact, the new World Trade Center is the, at the very top of that World Trade Center building now uh, is a, a brick that Barack Obama 
actually inscribed with these words, we will rebuild uh, bigger and stronger. And that's at the very, you know, and the, the pledge was to build higher. That's exactly what we did. Joseph Farah is with us, the founder, CEO of WorldNetDaily.com and the producer of the Isaiah 910 uh, Judgment. I really want to talk about uh, the sycamore mm-hmm. uh, because uh, prior to, uh, to watching this documentary, I had no idea how, how important a symbol of the sycamore tree is uh, to the very foundation uh, uh, of of the United States, and particularly the heart of the economic uh, center in in New York City, the Sycamore That's right. tree. And it's also very significant as the nation of Israel, because the sycamore is also a fig tree. And of course, you know, we we identify Israel with, with really two trees. You identify Israel with one is the olive tree. Yes. But more importantly, is the fig tree. You find it all throughout the Bible, references to it. And so, what happened um, in? The northern kingdom of Israel is when this attack came, the Assyrians destroyed the little tree. Sycamore is, you know, not a very big tree, not a very significant tree. Uh, they cut them down, and so kind of a scorched earth policy, right? And uh, and so the leaders of Israel say, well, big deal. We lost these sycamore trees. Um, we'll, we'll rebuild. We'll, we'll plant cedars in their place. And actually, the the word there for cedars. Um, is more appropriately a panacea tree, which is a very large tree, not necessarily a cedar, but it's an evergreen tree, big. Yeah, from the uh, conifer family. Yeah. That's right. And and so uh, in in New York City, you, you think, well, what could what could the significance of a sycamore be? Would there even be a sycamore involved in the attack on 9/11? And sure enough, if you go to uh, the site of Ground Zero today. There is memorialized in bronze a sycamore tree that was uprooted uh, when these buildings came toppling down. In fact, many of your listeners would probably remember hearing about a church. Uh, they called it the Miracle Church because it was the only building on Ground Zero, literally, that was not toppled and destroyed. And they say that this sycamore tree that shielded the brunt of the force from, uh, you know, the, the, the tremendous force that was, uh, of, of these buildings toppling. And you can remember the, the video we all saw of what looked like, you know, a hurricane of dust and debris flying in every direction. That's what felled this sycamore tree, which has, as I said, been memorialized in bronze there. And you can visit it, as I have done with Jonathan, and it's a stunning thing to, to, to recognize. But, but then you have to ask yourself, well, surely we didn't replace that sycamore tree with a, with a panacea tree or a conifer tree, bigger and stronger. But that's exactly what we did at Ground Zero. They um, brought cranes in and they brought the, this, this tree in that fits the description, a bigger tree, an evergreen, a conifer, a panacea tree, and they planted it in the place of the fallen sycamore. And they called it the tree of hope. Uh-huh. And as an interesting note, side note, which is not in the movie or the book. Let me just get you to hold on to that. Excuse me, Joseph. We'll, we'll pick up on that on the other side. Joseph Farah, WorldNetDaily.com, the Isaiah 9, Ted Judgment, here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. The Isaiah 910 Judgment. Uh, Joseph Farah is the producer of this uh, new documentary, which is based on the, uh, the research of a Messianic Jew by the name of Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. Um, and delving into this ancient mystery that um, perhaps foretells America's future and the parallels between what is happening in the United States, certainly since 9-11, uh, and what transpired in uh, then the northern kingdom of Sumeria uh, are quite startling. Now, I want to get back to the sycamore tree. I've been to, I believe it's Trinity St. Paul uh, Church in gra- at Ground Zero, and I remember seeing this, this bronze statue of this sycamore, and I didn't understand the significance of it, but I do now. So here's the thing, though, that I think is even... I mean, if that's not enough... Talk to me about the significance of the sycamore uh, tree in terms of, you know, the uh, the financial nerve center of America and Wall Street, the sycamore tree and Wall tr- uh, Wall Street. What's the connection there? Yeah, it's it's a very good question because really there, you know, 9/11 is just the first attack. There's another one that that follows, and it was the as a direct result of 9/11, we have the Wall Street crash. Of, uh, of of 2001, and uh, it was devastating to the economy. And um, and if you go back to the uh, late 18th century, the late 1700s, um, the what we know as Wall Street today, the American Stock Exchange, the New York Stock Exchange, began in the seven, late 1700s when traders and merchants began meeting under a tree. And uh, we know that it's called today uh, the Buttonwood Agreement. It, the Buttonwood Agreement is what became the basis for uh, the New York Stock Exchange. And, you know, well, what is a Buttonwood tree? A Buttonwood tree is a sycamore tree. There you go. It is, in fact, that sycamore tree that was felled on 9-11, and, of course, the consequences of that were also a devastated economy uh, in in in, uh, in the United States, which began when the stock market crashed, really just days after 9-11. I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, outside of Central Park, you know, you're pretty hard-pressed to find a tree in Manhattan. Exactly. And of all the trees to be felled uh, during the 9-11 attacks, it's the sycamore, which arguably is the is the symbol. It's the foundation of Wall Street, the financial center of America. Right, and 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 if you don't mind me jumping ahead a little bit here, um, because this is also a key to the Harbingers, is the significance of understanding what only a Messianic Jew could tell us about, which is the Shemitah. Um, Yes, yes. The key to the Harbingers is the significance of the Shemitah. The Shemitah is a Sabbath year, which happens every seven years. It happens on, uh, beginning on a Lul 29 on the Hebrew calendar. And to review, on September 17, 2001, six days uh, after the attack at Ground Zero, it was the beginning of the economic calamity uh, that was associated with 9-11 directly. It began with the lowering of interest rates by the Fed, resulted in the collapse of the stock market. September 17, 2001, was Elul 29 on the Hebrew calendar, believe it or not. 
So it was a Shemitah year that began, meaning all debts are canceled and the land is given a rest in ancient Israel. But it also means literally falling down. It means letting things fall, letting the economy fall. Don't worry about it. Debts are canceled. Um, and also significantly, exactly seven years later, on September 29, 2008, marked the next big crash on Wall Street. September 29, 2008, fell on Elul 29, exactly seven years later on the Hebrew calendar. It was another Shemitah. So, you know, as a newsman, I look at this, and the obvious first question to me is, when is the next Shemitah? <laughs> and if, you, if your, life, your mind works like mine, I will tell you, it's not in the book, it's not in the video, because Jonathan doesn't like to speculate about things in the future. On the Hebrew calendar, it falls every seven years on a little 29. What does that mean to those of us who use, you know, the pagan calendar? It means September 13th, 2015. Now, I don't know what's going to happen on that day, but I, to me, I think it's a date worth watching because a clear pattern has been established. I don't believe it's a coincidence what happened in America on a little 29 in 2001 and 2008, and I think it would be foolish to ignore the possibility that a greater judgment, if you will, might be in the works, especially if America continues to kind of move in this path of denial about what God is trying to tell us. Uh, Joseph, can I get you to hold on for one more uh, one more quick segment? We'll be back. Joseph Farah, the Isaiah nine ten judgment. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome back, and we're talking about Isaiah 9.10, this uh, biblical prophecy which has been decoded by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. He's a Messianic Jew, a pastor uh, in New Jersey. Uh, and he is the, uh, he and his decoding work, I suppose, um, are the uh, subjects of a new documentary called The Isaiah 9.10 Judgment. It's a WorldNet Daily film, and the producer, Joseph Farah, the uh, the editor and the CEO and founder of WorldNetDaily.com is uh, with us discussing this. Now we were talking about um, the, the the Shemitah, which is every seven years, uh, or debts are forgiven. Now in a time of I guess plenty and and when things are going well, you know this is uh, the Shemitah is a good thing. I mean you're, yes, you're forgiving blessing. you're forgiving debts, mm-hmm. uh, but when you are under judgment, when the nation is being judged by God. Uh, then, then it's obviously it's got a very negative connotation. It's a it's a it's a falling away, or uh, obviously uh, coinciding with two economic cataclysms. One one which was precipitated by the 9/11 attacks, uh, September 17th, of course, stock market crash, uh, and then go ahead seven years, and it falls again on the precise day of the next Shemitah, September 29th, 2008, the biggest crash in Wall Street history. Uh, and I believe, uh, you know, we're talking, we're working in all these number sevens. Didn't the market actually fall that day 777 points? That's right. <laughs> in case the message didn't resonate. Yeah, how many times do you have to be, you know, hit over the head? Yeah. Uh, but I want, I want to dial it back to, um, uh, to, uh, to King Solomon. And, uh, because he was sort of warning, uh, warning his people that if they didn't, you know, 
carry on the straight and narrow and, and live according to God's laws, that this sort of judgment would, would happen. And talk to me about, yeah, again, actually, the parallel... At, at, at the consecration of the, the first temple, um, Solomon is praying to God. He, he's consecrating his nation to God. Really, this is like... This is like the real the real birth of Israel takes place when the temple is finally built, finished, and consecrated to God. And God speaks to Solomon, uh, and he tells him uh, that, you know, uh, Solomon wants to know, well, what happens if, you know, inevitably we start to stray from you? And, you know, and, and he asks God, what is the answer to that? And there's a very famous answer that anybody who's a, you know a student of the Bible um, can remember, found in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their prayers and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's the prescription that God gives to Solomon at that very scene. And, of course, there's a principle that Jonathan Kahn talks about in the Harbinger and in Isaiah 9:10 judgment, which is that the judgment always comes back to the point of consecration, which ultimately, you know, in the case of the southern kingdom uh, of Judah, uh, followed the, the fall of the northern kingdom, uh, and, by the way, it was a direct result of not uh, following the Shemitah, by the way, that's why Judah was exiled for 70 years um, because they didn't uh, they didn't follow the the law of the Shemitah. Now, what what about the United States? What does that mean to us? Well, guess what the the point of consecration for the United States of America was, and this is the most astounding thing of all. This is going back to 1789. President, uh, new newly minted President George Washington is being sworn in in the Capitol. Right, the Capitol, which, you know, how many Americans know that the first capital of the United States was New York City? Mm. That's where George Washington was sworn in. That's where the first Congress of the United States was sworn in. That's where the first Supreme Court of the United States was sworn in. And they were sworn in at Federal Hall, which, by the way, is just a few blocks away from 9-11, the foundation of Federal Hall was cracked by the shock waves from 9/11. So that's where that's where George Washington is sworn in. And after he's sworn in, and by the way, before being sworn in, he called uh, a, a, for a day of a prayer and fasting for that day as a as a sign to God that the, you know the United States of America was going to uh, follow him. And he leads a procession of the entire Congress of the United States, the Supreme Court, the executive, all three branches of government walk on foot to a little church a few blocks away. And we all know what that church was, don't we, Richard? Trinity St. Paul. That was St. Paul's Church, where you can go today and see exactly where George Washington had a little uh, pew all to himself. It's still there, preserved with his Bible there, and the and the whole government of the United States went there to pray. What's even lesser known is the fact that originally that church owned all the land uh, that was destroyed, all of Ground Zero. The church owned that property at the time. 
that George Washington was sworn in. Wow. So that's that was where George Washington essentially, through their prayers, consecrated the United States of America. You got it. And as you point out, the judgment always comes back to the exact point of the consecration, the consecrated right. ground. Right. Just as the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem uh, by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, there we go. I mean, it, it, this is, you know, that's what was destroyed on 9-11. And that limited strike that I believe was meant as a warning from God that our time was short if we didn't turn back and follow him. How can uh, people get a copy of uh, the Isaiah 9:10 Judgment, Joseph? Well, it's available most everywhere. Uh, certainly, Amazon, uh, the WND Superstore. That's where I recommend you buy it. But, <laughs> but it's uh, literally everywhere. It's in WalMarts and Sam's Clubs and every Christian book and movie store, uh, <clears throat> and many just you know of the big retailers have it as well. Just a, a thought occurred to me, uh, just a, a few moments remaining here before we uh, we say goodbye. But has anyone uh, gotten a copy of this to I don't know Tom Daschle or John Kerry or not John well, Kerry, uh, you, you think uh, John like Edwards? I do. The first <laughs> thing I did uh, before we made the movie, and we've even even continued to do this ever since, is I did everything in my power to reach out to Daschle and to John Edwards and find out why they used Isaiah 9:10 as the basis for their speech and really in Dashiell's case it's the it's the punchline of his speech in the case of Edwards it's the foundation of his speech um never and I and I I'm pretty good at this this is what I do for a living uh, getting people on the phone or getting them to answer my emails and we have tried every uh, method I could think of, even mutual friends, attor- attorneys that I knew who worked with them, the attorney who defended Edwards. I spoke to him, you know, in his uh, in his big trial. Uh, I said, "Look, I just want to have five minutes with John Edwards, and here's what I want to talk about." The problem is they know what I want to talk about, and I think everybody knows about I, you know, Isaiah nine ten at this point. I think it's a very difficult uh, question for them to answer. Is it is it too late? Do you think? I, I mean, uh, is as the die been cast? Is the is now the United States going to uh, essentially feel the wrath of God? I think the hour is late. Um, I, I wish I could say I saw more repentance and reflection uh, than I think the kind that God wanted us to to have after that attack, but. Look at the tremendous success of the Harbinger and the Isaiah 9:10 judgment, and they have reached millions of people, millions of people. I mean, you know, if people have seen this movie or read the book, they know what we're talking about here. They feel it. They see it clearly. And that's what I think is so important. I don't believe, you know, it, I used to think about that Second Chronicles 7:14. Verse and I used to think, wow, that's a tall order. It's a tall order because I, I used to think it meant, wow, you know, America would have to all collectively get down on our knees and start repenting. But that's not what it says. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, so it's just to believers. If believers do this, it will save America. It will, our nation will be healed. And that's the key. 
Can that happen? Is that too much to ask, that believers get a clear picture of what God is telling us today? I don't think that's so uh, out of the question. You know, it's uh, it's it's funny that not funny, but I I get the sense. I think a lot of people have this sense that things are coming to what my father used to call an acute angle. Yeah. Uh, Billy Graham, uh, of course, ninety three, ninety four years old, and his sort of last letter to America again, war- making the same kind of warnings. Time for America to repent, and he he quoted his late wife Ruth. Uh, who said, um, if God doesn't judge America, then God owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's, that's something to think about. Yes, indeed. Because there's nothing that Sodom and Gomorrah didn't do that we, we are not doing. That's the point. Well, Joseph, listen, uh, thank you for spending uh, some time with us tonight. Congratulations on the Isaiah 9-10 judgment. And uh, I continue to enjoy uh, WorldNet Daily immensely. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Great being with you. All Good right. Bless. Joseph Farah. All right. Now, um, we mentioned that the uh, the documentary uh, based largely, uh, almost solely, really, on the on the uh, the, the research of uh, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, this Messianic Jew who sort of decoded Isaiah 9, 10 judgment. And uh, Jonathan, we tried to get to Jonathan Kahn on the program tonight, wasn't able to, but we will, hopefully, in the coming weeks. I'd like to get Jonathan on before... Uh, Christmas, not necessarily to talk about the Isaiah 9-10 judgment, although that may come into it, but he has some amazing insights into not only biblical prophecy, uh, but uh, as we again approach Christmas season, uh, some amazing evidence that Jesus Christ was not born on December 25th. I think we all sort of had that sense, but he's actually pretty well has it down to the day the month and the day, and he can uh, walk us through that. So uh, we'll get uh, Jonathan Kahn on the program as quickly as possible. Uh, many of you still emailing saying, what's going on with richardserrett.com? Uh, I've got a team out in Nova Scotia, actually, uh, uh, working on it day and night to get a, the uh, the new, improved richardserrett.com up and running. So look for that. As always, say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. Follow the truth. <laughs> 